On this episode of the Culture Pop Podcast, my puppy Ron is adjusting to his new home and we have hit the puppy jackpot again. What a sweet guy. Also, the Golden Globe Awards are coming up. Uh, What is the best picture in the drama category? What is the best picture in the comedy or musical category? And Hall of Fame quarterback Warren Moon will join us. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or at stevemason.com. And please take a minute, leave us a rating and a review. The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob Imrani. Accident. Going to recall Jacob Imrani. Call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason along with Sue Kalinske. This is our first show of Year of Our Lord 2023. Sue Baloo, how was New Year's? Wait a minute. Year of Our Lord? Yeah, it's just what the hell is going Did you find some religion? I found Jesus <laughs> over New Year's. <laughs> no, it's funny you say that. Where was he? Where was Jesus? Uh, Where'd you find him? I'm watching the Ohio State game uh, this last week, Ohio State, Georgia, and there was an ad just for Jesus. It's like Jesus put out an ad. And I'm like, I'm glad that guy, after (laughs) 2023 years, has finally figured out how to market things. Wow. His PR skills were really lacking. (laughs) Yeah, they really were. So uh, what did you do for New Year's? I had. I want to let everybody know that Warren Moon, the Hall of Fame quarterback, is going to join us coming up. So that's that's coming up in minutes. Now, what'd you do for New Year's? I uh, had a, a small dinner party at our house with another couple, Tom and I, and another couple. Oh, that's nice. That's it. And did you ring in the New Year's in some way? Is there some sort of uh, Sue and Tom tradition for the New Year's? Oh, I was asleep before New Year's. Were you awake for New York New Year's? Yes, I was awake for New York New Year's, but we missed it because we were hanging out talking. And, you know, it was funny, the the couple that came over, they brought some gifts with them. So um, I didn't really look in the bag for everything, but they had like confetti poppers. Oh. So they they gave us like some some game, you know, some like, you know, I, I don't even remember what the name is. It's like catchphrases or something. And it was like some electronic kind of game. And then she gave us this cool, like, um, square, uh, electronic ball that, um, it's kind of like, uh, it just, it, like a it, disco ball. It's not a disco ball, but it, it, you know, different colors come up and you can, you have different settings for, you know, how, you know, how the ball's going to, how the light's going to come on and off and whatever. So it was now, a very festive. The, what do you do with the magic ball? Well, I think like, like if you had a party outside yeah. and you wanted to have some, um, some atmosphere, you may put the, you know, the ball on a table or something like that. Actually, our magic ball. Is that kind of the. Basically, the basically now we have a magic ball. Um, <laughs> I'm not even going to go where I was going to go <laughs> anyway. So, um, but I didn't see that she, that she had given us these confetti poppers. So after they left, 
I, you know, was just Thomas like, oh, what else is in the bag? She gave me like a little like New Year's crown, like, you oh, know, a little nice. like, crown to put around my head and these confetti poppers. So I just said to them, well, you know, the next time you come over, we'll use them for some reason. But I felt bad, you know, because she, you know, she really put a lot of thought into these right. gifts. And Magic I didn't even ball, know they confetti poppers. Yeah. And I, we didn't and we didn't use any of it. So anyway, so, so the craziest thing was there was a couple of things going on at once. Uh, the Ohio State Georgia game was astoundingly good, just a phenomenal game. So I was flipping back and forth between the Ohio State game, uh, which they lost to Georgia, and uh, the ball dropping in New York. So I got to see some of Andy Cohen and Anderson Cooper and like Kevin Hart went on there and said. This is the shittiest thing they've ever done at CNN. He's like, they're because they're not allowed to drink. Right. uh, So that was sort of the theme of that. But the craziest thing is when that ball came down, Mm -hmm. Ohio State had a chance to win the game on a 50-yard field goal. The kick was missed at exactly the moment it turned New Year's in (gasps) New York. I mean, timed down to the second. He oh, missed that kick right on the dot. And was the kick missed um, like badly or badly. did he? It was, oh, a, oh. it was a bad, terrible man. That kid, I felt really bad for that kid because here he is, you know, chance to get his team into the national championship game, misses a 50-yard field goal. Um, and uh, I'm sure Ohio State fans were all over him. Kid is named Ruggles, I think is his last name. Uh, but I, but it was just crazy that it was synced in such a way. Oh, cool. Yeah, I didn't see it. So I've been uh, I've, I've been playing with Ron, my new dog, Ron. Oh, how is he? He is so good. We got so lucky. We Aww. once again hit the, the puppy dog jackpot. I'm thrilled with it. And despite the fact that he grew up with 72 brothers and sisters uh, in this hoarder house, he seems okay. Hmm. Like he came pad trained. He's starting to learn to go outside. Um, mm-hmm. really wants food. I know that much. And I think what the woman did that, uh, if you don't know the story, we adopted a, a puppy and we named him Ron. We adopted him from a shelter and he had been part of this uh, hoarder situation out in Cabazon. And so I think what this lady did who had dementia was she just threw food on the ground. And that meant all the dogs had to fight really hard to get their share of the food because he is the most and our other dog Sophie's food aggressive this guy will just crawl over anything to get to food so that's something we've got to work on with him but that's because he was in that situation and in that that life that he was in which had to be really difficult so does he go after Sophie's food too no we've got a little house for him that we put him in when we're feeding him and then Sophie eats. And then when Sophie's done, we let him out of the house. What What's the house? Did you build like a little dog house? Yeah, we built what a small doing? dog house in our living room. <laughs> no, it's baby gates. And then, you know, oh, okay. we, we fashioned a, a roof over it. Um, and uh, there's a mailbox where he can get mailed. This <laughs> 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 is his little house. Well, he's got, there's a lot of Amazon packages outside the gate. Oh, so many Amazon. And I said, <laughs> don't leave those out there because somebody is going to take them. Well, Sophie is going to take them. Exactly. <laughs> so how does Sophie overall um, feel about this new dog in the house? It's unbelievable how Sophie is 
never, she's always been hostile to dogs. It's like they've achieved this tenuous peace. Like they work around each other. They, she's a kind of a guard at the end of the bed dog. He's a guard at the end of the bed dog. And so they both sit at the end of the bed and they seem to get along fine. So difficult transition for Sophie, but I think in Sophie's mind, um, and this is, this is the truth. Um, when we had Sophie, we went out and got another dog. It was a little, um, uh, he was a terrier. His name was Enzo. Uh, he passed away. He was light Brown. Um, and he passed away. Then we got another dog, Fredo. He was light Brown and about the same size and he passed away. And now we have another dog, uh, that is light Brown and, uh, is in the house. So I think Sophie may assume that they're all the same dog. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) there's a light brown dog in the house at all times and i have to learn to exist with it so yeah she's doing good i'm i'm really proud of her she's doing she's doing good she's she she is uh 16 so change is not easy on her but uh but ron is the sweetest little guy wow good for you guys Yeah. yeah so what so have uh have you been following what's going on with the other dogs that were living in the house as far as uh uh how many dogs were adopted well, I go to adoptapet.com, which is where I found this dog, and mm-hmm. uh, the pictures keep coming down. I keep looking at that shelter, and there are pictures that are coming down of dogs that are available. So they only mm-hmm. had 10 of them from that hoarder situation. They kind of spread them amongst a bunch of different shelters, but right. it's like five or six of them have been adopted. They were all very, very sweet. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, congrats. But none of them will ever have a house with a mailbox. <laughs> so uh before we get to warren moon golden globe nominations i think this is going to come out on monday the golden globes they move to tuesday nights uh mm-hmm. it's tuesday night um as you hear this tomorrow night and uh, i thought we would rattle through a couple have you have you seen everything now do you feel like you've seen a lot no i haven't seen everything um, okay. I, I i've seen some but okay probably i've seen uh i probably have seen less of what's out there okay so i'm gonna go through uh dramatic and comedy musical films and just give me your take um have you seen avatar the way of water i have not okay it's definitely worth seeing um it is three and a half hours long all right um it looks spectacular I will Mm -hmm. not lie. I did go to the bathroom once and I did look at my watch several times. Well, with all the water, I would, uh, I would probably go to the bathroom like five times. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, so avatar way of water, Elvis, the Fablemans, tar, which is the film uh, starring Kate Blanchett and top gun Maverick. So if you, if you hear those, which ones have you seen and not seen? I've seen all of them except for avatar avatar. Okay. So what do you like in that category? What, what's your favorite dramatic film, according to the Golden Globes? Well, I don't know what anybody else is saying, but Tar. Really? Yes. I hated Tar. Oh, I did not. and I, oh, I, I think her. she's amazing. I think she's, she's amazing. amazing. But as a film, again, that's another one that's like two, two hours and 45 minutes. Yeah, it's long. It's, it is ponderous to me. It is hmm. ponderous. What do you like about Tar? I just, I mean, I, I, I think just because I liked her so much that, um, 
that it didn't, I, I mean, I know what you're saying, but I liked her. I love, I really love the woman who played her partner. Um, I just, I just thought it was a really, really well done film. So I'm between, uh, Top Gun and the Fablemans. Ah, okay. Did you see the Fablemans? I did see the Fablemans and I didn't like it as much as I wanted to like it. Interesting. Interesting. You know, I mean, I, I, I thought everybody was really good in it. Um, I just didn't like it as much as I, as, as I expected to. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know. Um, I loved it. Wasn't it wasn't my, wasn't my favorite Spielberg movie. Yeah, I, I really loved it. It feels like sort of a career. I mean, I'm sure he's going to keep making movies, but kind of a career capping achievement that movie is because it really is his life story on screen, which is mm-hmm. fascinating. Uh, so I like that. But I think Top Gun is going to win. And you know what? I got to be honest. I'm going to get a you. you Do you vote in any of the awards stuff? You vote in Writers Guild, right? Writers Guild and, yeah. and SAG. And SAG. So I vote in SAG. Um, if Top Gun is on the list of uh, best ensemble, I'm going to vote for Top Gun. Um, if Tom Cruise is up for best actor, I'm going to vote for Tom Cruise. Because you know what? Here's the thing about Tom Cruise. He's he's an odd dude, right? There are lots of things, you know, mm-hmm. is, is Scientology and Katie Holmes and jumping on couches and all that stuff that he's done in the past. But this guy loves the movies. This guy really wants to make great, big, stinking movies. And if you go back to last, I think he came out in May, there were so many theaters that were about to close their doors. And because of Top Gun, they mm-hmm. were able to stay open. And of course, there are bigger block. Now, Avatar is really big and uh, Wakanda Forever is really big. But at that moment, Top Gun was really important to the theater business. And so mm-hmm. for that reason, I am going to pick and take Top Gun. That would be my favorite from that group. Fableman's is second. Um, and I, Avatar, look, it's an, an amazing technical achievement, but I was not, I, I wasn't blown away by the story. Mm-hmm thought the picture could have used a trim and all that kind of stuff. Three mm-hmm. and a half hours is a long time. Uh, the 3D is really cool on it. If you do see it, the 3D is really cool. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, you know, special effects, you know, in, in that, you know, is always going to be great, you yeah. know? So best picture, musical or comedy? Babylon. Banshees of Inishirin. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Glass Onion, A Knives Out Story. And Triangle of Sadness. I can tell you, I've seen four of the five. I've not seen Triangle of Sadness, although I hear it's really, really good. Yeah, I haven't. That's that's the only one. Well, actually, I've seen, I I could not get through Babylon. I watched 15 minutes of it and I, and I could not watch anymore. I was, I, I, it was just to me all over the place. I could not figure out what they were doing in that movie. Now, look, I only watch 15 minutes, but I have never read such hard reviews on Facebook than I have for any movie. I mean, I, most people I know really did not like it. I just, I, it, I don't know. I just it didn't do anything for me. One um, of my favorite movies of the year. Wow, I'm shocked to hear you say yeah, that. Yeah, no, I absolutely loved it. It's a wow. great, big movie. It tells a great story about an era of Hollywood that is fascinating to me, that transition. 
from uh, from silent films to talkies and the actors that had a hard time making the transition. I just absolutely love that movie. I love the size. I love the scope. Hmm. It made me laugh a lot. I love that one. We have we have uh, we have such completely different views today. We really do. So I don't know. I don't like? even know if I. I don't even know if I can continue doing the podcast. Is that right? It's that bad. It's that bad. <laughs> um, the Banshee movie. Um, it it made me so sad. I did not like it. Um, it made me sad. Um, I didn't. I didn't like not like it. But it was another movie that I wanted to like more. And I'm sorry, I cannot get, get by I, a guy chopping off his fingers. I oh yeah, and the, and the donkey. Well, the donkey made me sad. Yeah, the donkey. Yeah. Um, but I thought the acting was really good. Colin Farrell and Colm and oh, uh, Brendan uh, Gleeson. Brendan Gleeson, they're great. Yeah. Um, Glass Onion could not watch the whole thing. I did not like Glass Onion. I I watched maybe maybe an hour of it. And then I was like, I just can't watch this anymore. It was just like undercooked Agatha Christie, um, a caricatures like crazy. Oh God. It was overacting one on one. Yeah. It was really too much. Um, and so my pick is everything everywhere all at once. That's my pick. I like everything everywhere all at once. I think it's going to win. I actually think everything everywhere all at once might win. Uh, best Picture, Best Actress, Michelle Yeoh, uh, Best Supporting Actor, who yep. had on the show, Kiwi Kwan, uh, mm-hmm. and Best Supporting Actress, Jamie Lee Curtis. I think- Yes, me too. I, I, I picked all those guys. Gigantic, gigantic night. But I want to stand up for Babylon and all your Facebook friends and say, <laughs> take another look at that movie. Yeah, I don't know. All right. It's better right. than watching Tar, I can tell you that. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, it so wasn't. Uh, so Golden Globes, uh, they're back this year. Gerard Carm- Carmichael is the host um, who did a nice job hosting Saturday Night Live last year. Very funny guy. Uh, and uh, it's uh, it should be fun. I always like award shows. I'm an award show guy. I'm going to want to give a shout out to two of my friends who were writing on it, Carol Liefer and Jeff Stilson. Oh, nice. Yeah, who I uh, had dinner with the other night. And uh, yeah, so they're writing on it. So Carol, how does Carol think it's going? Oh, I mean, they haven't really, you know, been doing too much yet. You know, I mean, yeah, she's she's written some jokes. You know, she told me one of her jokes. I I can't tell you what it no, is, no, but of course not. Um, but it's really really funny. So I hope it gets in. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, by the way, I am, I don't have a microphone today. I'm just talking into the computer. So hopefully it sounds okay. And our friend Milos, uh, is able, our sound engineer who's spectacular is going to be able to make this sound good. Uh, but I am really, really excited for our first guest of 2023. He is a hall of fame quarterback, a legendary career. Warren Moon joins us. Warren, thank you so much for doing this, man. Steve, thanks for having me on, and a happy new year to you. Hope you had a great uh, holiday season. Yeah, yeah. So, what does what does Hall of Famer Warren Moon do for uh, New Year's Eve? New Year's Eve this year, I uh, I have a bunch of good friends up here in Seattle where I live, and uh, we've had a lot a lot of years of, of friendship. We had a just a potluck. It was about fifteen twenty of us, and everybody brought a dish, and uh, 
Everybody brought a bottle of wine, and uh, we just had a great time uh, bringing in the new year, eating and drinking wine and uh, laughing and having a good time watching a lot of football. There was football on TV that night uh, with, uh, I think it was Georgia. Georgia. Yeah, isn't it crazy that that Ohio State-Georgia game came down, that kid missed the kick exactly as it turned midnight in New York? Yeah, we so we watched that uh, up until like 9 o'clock or whatever, and then then went on to the new year. So it, it was a great evening, a lot of fun. It was very safe. And uh, yeah, that's the way I brought in the new year. So uh, what was the dish that you brought to the table? I brought a couple of things. I, I love to uh, work on the grill and I was a smoker, so I smoked some chicken. And uh, I also made some good uh, chicken corn chowder, which is a, a real good a real good uh, dish just for a pop, you know, especially on a on a cold kind of rainy night the way it was up here in Seattle, you know, what better than having a nice bowl of chowder. So those were two things that I brought. Nice. So, you know, this is, I, I work for ESPN every day on the radio here in Los Angeles, but this show is not a sports show. So I'm going to ask you some sports stuff and some other stuff if, if that's okay. I, I'm really curious about when you were a kid because you are uh, obviously became a Hall of Fame quarterback. Were you discouraged from playing quarterback because you were black? Did guys try to, did coaches try to steer you to another position? Nobody ever tried to steer me to a different position, but um, I definitely had some doors closed in my face. And um, I just kind of kept opening the doors to finally where I got the opportunity. You know, when, when somebody did tell me they, they didn't think I could play quarterback or, or there wasn't a position for me to play quarterback, I went to the next place, you know, so it was more like that than anything else. And that didn't really start until college. So I was being recruited for college. Um, when I went to high school, um, my high school coach as a junior, he told me I was going to be a starting quarterback. And that after not having played a bunch as a, uh, as a 10th grader on the sophomore team, that coach didn't really believe in me. Quarterback. I was third string on my sophomore team. So, uh, I don't think it all had to do with my abilities because everybody on the team knew my abilities were better than the other two guys. But um, the varsity coach saw this potential in me and he told me I'm going to make you my varsity quarterback. And that just that just put a big shot of adrenaline into me as far as confidence and, and really going out there and working and getting myself ready so I wouldn't let him down. So um, that's kind of where it started for me in high school. But I played Pop Warner football as a quarterback four years before before I came to high school. So I was always a quarterback from the time I was uh, 11 years old. And um, it was just a matter of once I started getting recruited to colleges, that's when you started to see the true reality of, of what being an African-American quarterback during that time meant. So, I mean, at growing up, what made you want to play football? I mean, you, who are your heroes? Well, I grew up in a family where... Um, my mom was was the uh, the mom and the, and the dad. My dad passed away when I was seven years old from alcoholism, and uh, I had six sisters and my mom. So she took care of all of us. Um, I grew up in a, a, a home full of women, and one of the things she wanted to do for me was to get me around more boys. So that's why she put me in sports, she put me in the Boy Scouts, she put me in vacation Bible school in the summer. Uh, she wanted me to be around more men, so that's why I was in sports as well, because the coaches became more like uh, mentors and father figures to me. So that's the reason why. And so I I didn't have to be at home all the time being around all these women, even though I inherited a lot of those things as well, as far as being able to cook and take care of myself and clean and 
My mother was immaculate as far as the way she kept our house, even though it was a small house with a lot of kids. So I learned a lot of that from her. And to this day, I'm probably a little bit uh, OCD because of that. <laughs> so who was the one coach that gave you the best uh, chance to succeed, that that really mentored you and made the biggest difference in your in your career and in your life? Well, I mean, I, I had different ones at different levels. Um, I had a coach in Pop Warner, um, Bernard Parks, who became the chief of police of, uh, of Los Angeles. Yeah, so, sure. Uh, wow. You know, most of our, our coaches were policemen. And they, and they worked for the LAPD or, or uh, Englewood Police Department. One of my one of my coaches was Joe Rosan, who was the chief of police of the Englewood uh, Police Department. So that's how we were taught the game. We were taught with a very uh, stringent, uh, very disciplined style, and that's why we were so successful at that part that I played at. So those those guys played a big role in my development. And then, of course, going into the major college when I signed at the University of Washington, Don James was a guy who took a huge chance on me to play major college football and felt that I could play that at that level. Um, and stuck with me through some very, very tenuous times early in my career when I first got there. I was the first African-American quarterback there. It was a very nasty environment uh, my first year because we weren't winning it right away and our new program. And, and I was taking a lot of that heat um, because of it. And a lot of it was personal. And so uh, he stuck with me through all of that. And uh, I came out the other end of that in a positive time. So there were different coaches at different levels that really made an impact on my life and had a lot of uh, had a lot to do with my success. So you were one of the uh, the all time great undrafted players so was there ever a point where you thought damn am i ever going to get into the nfl because i know you went to the cfl but did you did you did you did you always believe i'm going to get there i'm going to get there one day you know when i first went there it wasn't my goal to to go to the nfl my goal was to play football and i wanted to play for whoever was going to give me that chance to play it um I was very disappointed that I wasn't going to be given the opportunity to play in the NFL as a quarterback because a lot of teams were going to draft me, but at another position. And I just didn't feel like confidence wise, I was good enough to play another position at that level because I had never played another position before. I wasn't considered a great athlete where I could just go play cornerback or go play wide receiver with great speed or any of that type of stuff. I was a quarterback that there was a good athlete playing quarterback. So I wanted to go play quarterback and, um, I believed I could play quarterback wherever I was given the opportunity to play quarterback. So Canada gave me that opportunity, and I went up there and uh, with guns a-blazing, and I said, I'm going to become the best player I can be here, and then we'll see what happens after that. It's such a crazy thing when you say that they that they were going to give you a different position. And I know that that was, that was a thing that they were doing with black players. And I can't yes. even imagine like in other sports, like a baseball player, a pitcher, and they say, you know what? We don't think that you, you're, you have the smarts or whatever to be a pitcher. We're going to make you a third baseman. I mean, it really is ridiculous when you think about it. Yeah, you know, it probably happens more in other sports, though, than it does in, in football at the quarterback position. Now, in football, you could be a right guard and maybe they move you to tackle or a tackle and they move you to guard or you're a defensive tackle and they move you to defensive end or your safety and they move you to quarterback and vice versa. All those different things could happen. But when it comes to a quarterback, either you're a quarterback or you're not. And um, 
I felt like I was a quarterback. And it was just a matter of who's going to give me that opportunity to play quarterback. So my whole my whole opportunity, my whole uh, career is based around opportunity and just finding that opportunity and then making the most of the opportunity. And that's what I did every step of the way. So you lit up the uh, CFL. Your numbers are just crazy uh, from your CFL days. Who in the NFL took a chance on you and what was that process like? Well, it was it was a very unique process because at that time there was no free agency in football. So because I wasn't drafted, I was considered a true free agent when I came back to the National Football League. So there were about seven teams that wanted my services. So my my attorney at the time, Lee Steinberg, orchestrated a uh, a bidding war and a, and a tour of me going around to all these seven cities, letting all these cities and organizations see who I was, interview me, talk to me, whatever it takes, and uh, just kind of create this this whole era or buzz about Warren Moon. You went from the guy who nobody would take a chance on to the guy that everybody was was bidding on, right? Isn't that, isn't that ironic? I go from a guy that nobody wanted me to play quarterback in the NFL to the highest paid player in the league when I signed my contract finally to come back to, to the NFL. So um, the only reason I wanted to come back is I was really enjoying myself in Canada. We were winning. And we won five. My first five years, we won championships. I was being paid very well up there. I I, uh, I didn't have to deal with any any negativism as far as booing or, or name calling or any of the stuff that I dealt with in college, and I really enjoyed it. My family liked it up there, and I would go back and forth. And I lived in Seattle in the off season, went to Canada and played during the during the six months of the season. So it, it was a great life for me at that time, and I had three kids, so that's something I had to think about. But because I had done so much up there and had so much success. It was still kind of gnawing at me. And I used to watch NFL games on TV and I still used to put myself out there and say, I can do what that guy's doing right there. Or I can be as good as that guy or I can be better than this guy. But until you actually do it, you really don't know. So that's the thing that made me start saying, maybe I do want to go back and and see exactly how good a quarterback I am. Because I've dominated this league up here, but how good am I really? And the only way you can find out how good you are is to play against the best. And the best were in the National Football League. So that was one of the reasons why I decided to come back because they were making me a huge offer to stay up there too. It wouldn't have been as much as I would have gotten in the NFL, but it was it was a lot of money. So uh, it wasn't money that kept me or made me leave as much as it was more of me trying to find out how good I could really be. And that's, that's what brought me. You played on a lot of different teams. And I'm always curious, like when you – like you played for, you know, the Oilers for so many years and, and then you go to another team. What was it like your first day on a new team? Because, you know, in football, different teams have different plays. I mean, there's so much, you know, you play football, so you know how to play football. But, you know, the plays are different on different teams. So so what was what's it, what's it like? Well, it's a whole different dynamic. The, the plays and things were my, at least of my concern at this particular time. I'm more worried about um, the expectations of what people are, are expecting from me coming in, being this high-priced player. Um, I'm transitioning from one city to a, or one state to another state. I have, like you said, at that time, three kids. My wife was pregnant with my fourth. So making sure that their environment was taken care of, finding a new house, 
finding a new bank, finding a new cleaner, where to go to the grocery store, all those things that go along with, with transitioning to another place. And then when you go into the football side of it, now I have to show these guys who have never seen me play maybe, why are you going to be the guy that's going to lead us? So I had to make sure I came in there with an attitude of, I'm going to be the first guy in the building every day. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to show you guys how much I work and my work ethic and all those things. But until you actually get out on the field and start playing in the game, they really don't know who you are. But I think players are smart enough to see once you do get out on the practice field and you start doing certain things, then you start raising their eyebrows like, oh, this guy can play the ball, play the game because, you know, of some of the things that I was doing in practice. So all those things were part of that whole transition. And then you have the, you know, you have the pressure of, you know, the fans are going to be expecting a lot more from you as well because of the money that you're being paid. So it was, you know, it was a lot. So I want to talk about some contemporary football stuff. Um, the, uh, this will air, I think on, uh, on Monday. Um, and, uh, this week we saw just a terrifying, scary, chilling incident at that Buffalo Cincinnati game when uh, Demar Hamlin uh, was just just collapsed. Um, and and as of this recording, he's doing better and making progress and all that stuff, which is great. Had you ever Thank seen God. an injury like that, an incident like that, in any level of football that you played at? You know, I've never witnessed it myself. I know things have happened like that. You know, you, you look back to, I remember Hank Gathered when he died on the basketball court. He died right there on the court in front of everybody. Yeah. He actually died. He had the heart attack and died. Um, an ex-teammate of mine, Corey Springer, who was playing for the Minnesota Vikings, uh, was working out in the, in the summer, and he ended up going into cardiac arrest when he got inside the locker room, and he ended up dying. So... There's been situations like that, but to have it happen on Monday night football with, I don't know how many millions of people watching this happen in live action, and then for the players to all be gathered around and see this going on, yeah, it was very traumatic for everybody. There's no question about it. I was shook up by it. At first, I thought maybe it punctured a lung or something like that because of the hit that he took. I never thought heart attack, you know? Um, but I guess it was kind of the perfect storm what happened with the injury where he got hit in the chest with such a uh, force. And I guess he ended up, his heart was in, in the middle of a pump and all of a sudden, boom, it, it just stopped because of that. Um, it's just amazing that they were able to get him resuscitated and, and the medical team and, and trainers did an amazing job of getting out there on the field in, in, uh, in lightning time. So I, so I, I uh, read today that uh, Joe Burrow from uh, the Bengals was saying that um, a lot of the players on the team, his team, were saying that they're like reluctant to go back on the field. Um, do you think that obviously it's going to have an overall effect on football players? Um, do you think that some players may may rethink what they're doing for a career? I think there will be some because I think you've seen a lot of players um, retire early because of concussions. Uh, there's been some players that have had numerous concussions and they finally just said, I'm, I'm going to give it up at, you know, 28, 26, 29 years old. Um, so I think this is going to make some guys rethink that too, even though this is a, I don't know if it's a once in a lifetime thing, but this, this doesn't occur very, very much as far as what happened uh, in that game. And, and I think the fact that 
he was re revived so quickly that he is doing well and he's recovered. I think that's going to maybe ease these guys' minds a little bit too as they go back out there and play this weekend. Because I think that was the big thing. Most guys get hurt on the field. Maybe it's a traumatic injury. It's a dislocated ankle where your, your ankle's pointed a different way than it should be. And some guys see that and they're traumatized by it. But once the medical staff gets out there, they get the air cast on you and then you're parted off the field and you give them the thumbs up that yeah. it's okay. Then I think that eases everybody. You know, everybody's able to exhale. Or in this situation, that didn't happen. And guys have still been on pins and needles until actually today, until he came out of uh, unconsciousness and uh, seems to be doing well. So I think you'll start to see guys relax a little bit more now that they see that he's doing much better. But there's still going to be a, a certain amount of guys that are probably going to rethink their careers. And uh, you heard some guys say that they probably won't let their kids play football. Because yeah, I was going to ask about mm -hmm. that uh, because Michael Thompson, uh, the former Laker uh, and broadcaster now, uh, is a friend of mine. And, you know, he said he discouraged his kids from playing football, Clay Thompson and, and Trace Thompson, didn't want his kids to play football. And I've talked to NFL players who've said, I don't want my kids to play football. The injury rate is 100% in the NFL. Everybody winds up on that injury report at some time. Um, I, you said you have kids. I don't know if you have uh, a son or not. Um, I, have, I have three sons. They all play football. One is in high school right now, and I would never discourage them from playing if they wanted to. I've never pushed it on them, but uh, I also have them play everything else as far as baseball, basketball. They were, they were swimmers. They were on the swim team. I, I encourage them to play golf, all those different things, but they, they wanted to play football too. So I think football is the greatest team sport that there is. And you, you learn so many things from this game that, that uh, maybe if you don't go all the way to the pro level that are going to help you in other aspects of your life. You can't play the game being you know, scared of getting hurt. Any sport you play, there's a chance of getting hurt. Some sports are, have a higher rate of getting hurt, but you can't, you can't worry about that. So um, that's why I just tell my kids, go out there and play hard and play fast and be careful. And I think things will work out for yourself. And, and I'm 66 years old right now. I played 23 years of professional football. I played four years of college football. I played four years of, of, of um, Pop Warner football, all in pads. And I think I'm in pretty good shape right now out of all of it. Uh, you know, thank God. But um, there's some guys that are going to get hurt in this sport, and, and it just happens. I want to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, it, first, I want to know if there's anything that you would do differently in, in today's game. And I remember, I think it was last year, Steve and I were talking. They had these um, these new helmets. And I think it was, was it only for practice that they were using only them, Steve? Only for practice, yeah. Okay. They used these sort of... Kind of odd-shaped helmets that are that were... were that, padding on the helmet. Right. So my my question is because they were giving you extra padding and they were using it in practice i said to steve how come they're not using it in the in the regular games and steve said because he says you're not going to like this answer he said because it's not sexy now how do you feel about that answer for something is that really what i did i really say it's not sexy you actually I did and i don't yeah. know whether you were joking with me but you, you kind of made it sound like you were serious. Yeah. It's not, it's not a great look. There's no yes. Question the mm -hmm. look of that helmet, but it's, but like, like what it's for, it's for, it's for extra padding that you don't have to take more hits than necessary when you're in practice 
of course, the game is going to uh, um, going to ask for that when you get into a game. You're going to have to maybe hit heads sometimes, but if you don't have to do it every day in practice, because that's where concussions come a lot too from from uh, from more occurrences of more hits to the. I think everything they can do possibly to make the game a little bit safer. You keep keep trying different things, and I, I think uh, injuries have been cut down because of that. Uh, they've changed some of the rules. Some of the rules I don't even agree with as far as you know, the way they're hitting the quarterbacks right now. You can't hit them anymore. Uh, I wish those rules would have been in place when I was playing. Yeah, right. I'm be playing today uh, <laughs> the way the way these guys are protected today. But I understand why they're doing it because they're the biggest commodity on the team, and you want to have those guys available every week. Um, but it also is to help with their health. So uh, the league is trying to do whatever they can and still make this football because football is football. And I mean, you can look at rugby players. I would never play rugby. I'd play football before I play rugby. Yeah. Yeah. There were, there were no pads on and they are going after. Hey, I got one last thing for you. How are you obviously in the hall of fame? How are you with wearing the mantle of being a trailblazer among black quarterbacks in the NFL? You know, Steve, that's probably the, uh, the thing I'm most proud of of anything I was able to do in my career. From you know, Any records that I set or any, any, any team things that we did, you know, the fact that I was able to help make change at this position uh, is something that's very, very important to me because I knew when I took over and, and started playing quarterback, I was going to be looked at a little bit more closely along with Doug Williams when he came into the league at the same time as me, when when Randall Cunningham came into the league just a little bit after me. Uh, we were going to be judged. How we were judged and how we played, it was going to have a whole lot to do with what this next group of African-American quarterbacks opportunities were going to be. So we knew there was a lot on our shoulders. Um, so even though I was ecstatic about finally getting in the National Football League and playing and playing for a team and all of that, I still knew there was more of a, a more responsibility on my shoulders and on my back. And, and uh, I was able to come through and, and make those things happen by the way that I played and the way I carried myself. So that's something I'm very, very proud of. And every time I look at these young guys playing today now and, and looking at the money that they're making and the way they're endorsed and all the different things that they're, they're uh, achieving, it, it makes me feel just a little bit more proud of what I was able to do during the game because it was not easy. You know, it wasn't an easy road for me, but you know, I made it through it, and I'd do it all over again if I had to do it again. Well, listen, uh, it, it's an honor to have you on the show. An amazing career, and uh, and a and a wonderful guy by all accounts. Everybody loves Warren Moon, uh, and we appreciate you doing this an awful lot, Warren. Thanks. Hey, thanks a lot, Steve. Thanks a lot, Sue. You guys uh, have a great day and uh, happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, man. There you have it, Warren Moon. He really is a great guy. Everybody loves Warren Moon and uh, just an absolute legend in terms of, you know, he was throwing the ball a lot before people were throwing the ball a lot. Um, I know. I was, I know. I was reading about, I guess, when he was uh, in the CFL. Yep. What did they say? Threw for a bajillion yards. Oh, like, like an insane amount of yards. So they said they said in the six years in the CFL, he amassed what thirteen hundred sixty nine completions, um, two thousand twenty three hundred eighty two attempts, and uh, twenty one thousand two hundred forty eight uh, wow. forty and two hundred twenty one thousand two twenty eight yards 
and 144 uh, touchdown passes. He was really doing that before anybody was doing that, throwing the ball just in a wide open offense like that. Um, wow. Really, really impressive guy. And uh, we appreciate him doing the show. And, uh, and he played he played until he was 44. Yeah. I didn't he realize Tom that. Brady he was, before Tom Brady. Exactly. Pre-Brady. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, listen, that is our Culture Pop podcast for today. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop podcast on Apple Spotify or check out stevemason.com. Easy way to get to the show. We appreciate you listening. Happy New Year to you. Uh, enjoy the, uh, the the big week of NFL and enjoy the playoffs are coming and enjoy the Golden Globe Awards, all that stuff. And we will see you next time on the Culture Pop Podcast.